Well, good afternoon. I mean, what can anybody say, right? What can I or anybody say that will cement somehow your enthusiasm for excellence? I've worried about that for some weeks, and uh, I don't know that I have the answer, quite frankly. I'm just a person quite like you. Very little different, only I bloomed a little later. I could identify with Michael Douglas last night. Uh, when I was sitting where you are today, when I was your age, uh, it never occurred to me that I'd be lacing monkey hearts into babies. Uh, but that came about later, and it was a matter of just following intuition, mainly, and dreams. Speaking of achievements, uh, a singular achievement, I think, in my life is the fact that I was able to talk a young lady into spending her life with me. I'd like Nancy to stand. Nancy's been with me now for 23 years, actually a little longer than that. <laughs> kicking the sand around down Laguna Beach, California one evening, and uh, I was a little timid, so I wanted to know in advance what she might say. I asked her, uh, what would you say if I asked you to marry me? <laughs> well, that's kind of a cop-out, wasn't it? She wasn't going to buy that. She said, why don't you ask and find out? <laughs> with that, I had the courage, and I asked her, and she's been with me ever since. It's been an, uh, an enormous light in my life, I might add. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was the uh, Wizard of Oz, as uh, some of you may recall, that said to the uh, Tin Man that hearts will never be practical until they can become unbreakable. Yeah. Now, I've spent my professional lifetime trying to break, or trying to repair broken little hearts, and some of them can be fixed. In fact, most of them can. And many of them can't be fixed, and when they can't, it seems to me other hearts get broken too. And you and I and the Tin Man and the Wizard know what we're talking about. As I was a young man in training uh, in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, it occurred to me that we were seeing a number of babies that had no hope uh, unless that malformed heart they had in their chest could be changed. And so I uh, risked, as a young resident, saying one time to a mentor, uh, why don't we uh, just change the baby's heart? And he smiled, and he said, well, that'd be nice. Uh, someday, perhaps, you should risk some egg in your face and try it. Well, when I got back into the medical school out in Loma Linda and began a research program on, uh, on how we might get a, uh, a method for changing baby hearts, I remembered that. I didn't realize I would get a whole crate of eggs in my face in the uh, process. Nevertheless, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, baby, uh, baby Faye, some of you recall, was a little uh, lady who came in uh, with incurable heart disease, and her only chance, in our opinion, was to have that organ replaced. And we had done a great deal of research over the previous seven or eight years in the lab, suggesting that we could, in fact, uh, put a, a heart of a different species, which was an available resource, to us into that baby, and we did that, and she lived longer than, than many of the original heart transplant patients that some of you have heard about, including Philip Bleiberg and some of the original transplants done in this country. Baby Faye left an important legacy that I'd like to leave with you. First of all, she didn't reject that heart in the sense that you and I understand uh, immunologic rejection. We learned some things because we didn't do everything just right. We also learned that there's a great uh, deal of promise in that uh, effort of cross-species transplantation. Reminds me of Mark Twain's comment about Wagner's music. He said, Wagner's music is better than it sounds. <laughs> uh, I'd like to convince you that, uh, that the experience with baby Faye was really quite a lot better than it sounds. 
Her perhaps most important legacy was the fact that she, uh, through the channels of media, was a witness to the world that something could be done finally for babies with incurable heart disease. And uh, so after that, we began to have a, a reasonably steady flow of uh, human uh, donor hearts, babies who had suffered some sort of brain, brain damage that left them uh, incapable of living. And uh, so we've been able now to follow about a dozen of these little babies. They're anywhere up to nearly three years of age now. They're doing extraordinarily well, and I submit that in the future you will hear more about uh, baby heart transplants. I've often wondered, for instance, why uh, babies and baby heart transplants is, have attracted so much attention, particularly uh, in, in the public's mind. And I have to believe, at least, that uh, these babies, uh, in a sense, uh, represent a symbol. Uh, they're not only fantastic for their own parents and for those of us that are dealing with them, but they're also, I think, symbolic uh, of hope and for what ought to be in this world. I would challenge you that uh, there are many things uh, about uh, baby hearts and operating on babies with uh, heart defects that are a tremendous challenge to you and to me. I'm reminded as Nancy and I and our little boys travel around this planet and operate in third world and sometimes in second world and not occasionally in the first world on uh, infants and children with heart disease that we have many more things in common with one another than we have separating us. I've found that moms and dads and babies, etc., around the world are all very much the same. I'd like to leave you with the thought that we have as a mandate in our lives to find out what things do bind us together as human beings and emphasize those things in our lives and in your achievements in life uh, rather than worrying about those things which separate us uh, even if they may be real or artificial. I submit that war and the machinery of war do not bind us together as human beings, and I would like to steer you away from that thought, if I might, into a new age, which I think we're approaching, of individuals learning to understand one another, talk with one another, a new age, hopefully, of what you and I would call peace on Earth. Um, so I just wonder what anybody can say, and I was thinking perhaps the six-year-old said it best. When asked uh, the difference between kids and grown-ups, the six-year-old said, well, grown-ups can reach higher stuff. <laughs> God bless you as you reach higher stuff. Thank you. My name is Jennifer Bradley. I'm from Austin, Texas. And I was just wondering what you thought the ethical implications of babies or even adults who were brain dead but have been kept alive for artificial means so that their organs can be used as donor organs. Do you think that's unethical or, what, or if that demeans somehow the human dignity? Well, I think uh, that's an awfully good question. Uh, I think that, though, is the fundamental basis of transplantation uh, throughout the world, that individuals who have had the unfortunate uh, circumstance of losing their brain function permanently and forever uh, through the... Uh, through the uh, permission of their relatives and sometimes uh, through their own permission in advance, uh, are willing within limits to donate their organs. I don't think that we, uh, first of all, we can't keep those individuals, the process of dying, we can't keep that process of dying going inevitably forever. There's a certain limitation on that, and it's about a day or two, occasionally three. 
that we have that, is, that are options for us to use organs. Now, we've gotten recently into a little bit of uh, quagmire over the use of babies who are born without a brain. It seems to us that that's a natural resource for babies who are born otherwise healthy but have organ defects that will terminate their lives. Uh, I'm not just sure why that represents a difficult problem for some people. Uh, it does, it seems, in some areas of ethics represent a problem. Uh, the most moral people, I'm told by someone, are those that are the farthest from the problem. And uh, I'm down on the front lines with the problem. I'm watching a baby who is dying because all he really needs is a heart or a kidney or a liver. And by the same token, now about two or three times a week at our institution, we get phone calls from, from families and from physicians uh, who are dealing with babies who are born without a brain and who are extraordinarily uh, desirous of us using those organs. Eventually, uh, you and I and the rest of uh, uh, the world has to come to grips with whether or not that's a, a reasonable resource, a reasonable thing for us to do. And uh, I hope, uh, as an advocate for the living, that we'll be able to utilize that resource. Thank you for your question. I'm Cynthia Boyd from New Jersey. I was just wondering if you could um, explain a little bit like what you did when you um, went to the other countries, the third world and second world countries, to help the people there. I was really interested in that. If you could explain where you went or what you did. We have a wonderful program out at our place wherein uh, each year uh, we go out uh, into uh, third world and do some surgery. Nancy and I have had the privilege of operating South America and uh, in China and uh, South Korea. That was the most recent place. In January, we're going to go to Poland. I'm uh, dying to get into the Soviet Union and have a chance to operate with those people. What we find is when we get into a country like that, uh, we get to really know those people and their feelings and what they're all about. It isn't so structured uh, by government officials that you can't find out what uh, you have in common with those people. And uh, our little program for taking us around the world has been extraordinary. We continue to, uh, to promote that. Hi, um, my name is Elisa Vanderzanden. I'm from Escondido, California. And I am wondering how you feel about the accusations um, concerning the anencephalic children about um, taking their organs out for transplantation if that some organizations consider that murder if their organs are used before they actually die? Well, um, the fact of the matter is we've only used one organ from an anencephalic infant who was able to be declared brain dead by the statutes that are on the books today. I think the real concern is that we not violate what has been set up since about 1968 in North America and in other places around the world. Uh, the uh, statute that says that an individual must be irreversibly brain dead, and that includes his brain stem. Well, an anencephalic baby may have all or part of his brain stem still functioning, and so certain vegetative uh, functions are still present in an anencephalic baby who's born, quote, live. Uh, and so we haven't yet, uh, under the current statute at least, been able to utilize the organs because the brain stem function doesn't always cease when the baby is born. Now, as the baby comes through the birth canal, frequently the brain stem is so injured that the baby is really born uh, dead or stillborn. Uh, it'll require, my guess is, certainly it'll require um, some form of public statute or commitment that the babies uh, be uh, dealt with as an exception, that a baby born without a brain is an organ donor if his parents wish. 
And that's really what it's going to take, I think. Uh, one thing that hasn't been asked, and that is how about all the resources we're wasting on these babies and that sort of thing. I, I noticed uh, that came up uh, to, uh, to Bill DeVries uh, this morning. I'd like to suggest that uh, we can uh, transplant a lot of babies for a small amount of money. In fact, we can, uh, if you don't draw analogies, we can transplant a couple of babies for what it costs on the street to buy a kilo of marijuana or of, uh, of uh, cocaine. I rode in a little uh, jet on the way out here. For what it costs to build that jet, we could fill it with babies with transplanted hearts. And I uh, was interested recently in reading in newspapers, for instance, that Congress has appropriated a million dollars to move the ex-president back to California. Well, we could probably transplant about a dozen babies for what it costs to move the ex-president back to, uh, to California. So it's really a matter of priorities. I don't think it's extraordinarily expensive. All you have to do, and I wish I had my video of uh, about eight or ten of these little babies running around uh, to show you because all you have to do is see those kids to know that I think we're on the right track. Thanks very much for your question.